Allah blesses people, we welcome you again to your lunchtime bread. This is your hot bread that comes at lunchtime to follow you at your workplaces, uh, to follow you in town, in your offices, and to minister Jesus to you. And that's why it serves me such a great honor to come to you this Monday afternoon. I know that uh, most of you are just walking out of your offices now for your lunch break, probably walking to a restaurant or you're staying in the office or you carried some lunch, packed lunch. And uh, yesterday we broke the fast this past evening. It has been a massive fasting across the globe. And uh, the next session is about to begin, total dry fast. But uh, I wanted to share with you... Uh, something within your lunchtime bread, a very important message of the Lord. And uh, we last time we looked at this aspect of identifying the true church of Christ. We looked at a very important conversation that the Lord has laid in Scripture here about how to identify the true church of Christ. And the Lord Jesus himself, the word in red in the book of John, the book of John chapter 10, verse 27, he said, My sheep listen to my voice. I know them, and they follow me. So we took one single aspect of that definition of the true disciples of Jesus, and we asked, what does it mean to follow Jesus? What does it mean to follow Christ? And we saw very clearly in our definition of what it means to follow Jesus, we use the example that is in Matthew chapter 4, verses 18, 22, how the disciples, when they were being called, they abandoned two boats full of fish. They abandoned their families. They abandoned their previous life, their acquaintances. And they began a totally new life as they walked with Jesus, a life that is now focused on the glorious eternal kingdom of God, a life that is focused onto heaven. And so this is a very powerful thing that the Lord has laid there for the church, a very powerful moment the Lord laid for the church that she may be able to identify to, to use this to audit herself, to do a spiritual audit, to find out, am I really following Christ Jesus the Messiah? And we say that those that follow Christ Jesus the Messiah, they follow him, and they adhere to his teachings. They love him. The, the following of Christ draws you towards righteousness. It draws you to holiness. Because you are now walking with the Messiah himself. And following Christ Jesus draws you to a separated life. It makes you more fruitful as a Christian. And he says that when you are following Christ, he says in the book of Romans chapter 8 verse 1, there is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So we saw very clearly that the kingdom of God did not come to serve us. When he brought the gospel before the coming of the kingdom, we know we are going into the great kingdom of God, the eternal kingdom of God. But for now, 
Christ seated on the right hand side of God the Father, reigning over the spiritual kingdom that is in our hearts. He is a king, the king. And that kingdom, we are the subjects. We ought to serve that kingdom. So we saw what it means to follow Jesus. Today, during your lunchtime break, I want to open up a new aspect because this entire conversation began from the book of Matthew, chapter 7, verses 21 to 23, when he said very clearly that on the final day of judgment, many would come to him saying, Lord, Lord, I used to do this. He says, not everyone that says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven but only the one who does the will of my Father, who is in heaven. So right there, he's saying that he's dividing people into two. And he's saying that not all those that say they are Christians are Christians. Not all those that say they are born again are born again. And then he goes on to say, verse, again, Matthew 7, verse 22, Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, and in your name drive out demons, and in your name perform many miracles? Then he says, verse 23, then I will tell them plainly, clearly, boldly, in other words, I never knew you, away from me, workers of iniquity, away from me, workers of wickedness. Away from me, you wicked people. Meaning those prophecies and the miracles and the casting of demons they were doing, they were not doing it with the authority of Christ. These are people who use the name of Jesus for expediency. They use the name of Jesus for convenience, to earn a living when they have not surrendered their hearts to Jesus. It's a very pathetic state. And you see it today in the present-day church, He's telling us here that not all people that are in the church that say they are born again are actually born again. And that is why I'm saying this is a point at which point of entry for you where you ought to now take an audit, a tough audit on your life. You just face reality and ask, am I really born again properly according to Scripture? But today I want us to focus on one other aspect of this judgment because say on that day, on that day, that is the day of judgment, you see in Revelation, chapter 11, verses 20, verses, Revelation chapter 20, verses 11 to 15. But today I want us to look at the book of Matthew, chapter 3, blessed people, during your lunchtime break. Turn with me to Matthew, chapter 3, blessed people. And this is what it says here. Matthew chapter 3, I'm reading 11 and 12. This is John the Baptist talking. He says, I baptize you with water for repentance, but after me comes one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Then verse 12, which is our main scripture now, he says, His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor, gathering his wheat into the barn and burning up the chaff with unquenchable fire. So 
final judgment of the Lord that John the Baptist was talking about. When John the Baptist gave this scripture, verses 11 to 12, he essentially summarized the entire Bible from Genesis to the end of Revelation. He essentially summarized everything from Genesis to the end of the book of Revelation. Because he's talking about the coming of the Messiah that you see in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. He's talking about that coming of the Messiah that you see, blessed people, in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, which I'm reading now. I know you've just walked into this study, maybe from your office, your law firm, maybe your doctor who has just taken a lunch break, or a nurse, or a secretary. And he says the following, Genesis chapter 3, Genesis 3 verse 15, he says, the following. He says, after the fall of man, of course, yeah, he says, and I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and hers, and he will crush your head. He's talking to the serpent. And you will strike his heel. This is the, the, the passion of the Christ he's talking about here. That Christ would come, that the Messiah would go to the cross to, to, to deliver, to redeem, to wash you from sin, to prepare you for the eternal kingdom of God, to prepare you for the final judgment against sin after the fall of Adam and Eve. And that is the same thing you see in verse 21. When he says, the Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. That was the first death that took place, takes place in the Bible. And this first death is the Lamb of God. God was portraying, he was prophesying, he was foretelling that the shame of man would only be covered by the perfect Lamb of God would be sacrificed. In fact, verse 21 becomes the inaugural. This becomes the inaugural sermon, the inauguration of the worshipping of the blood of Jesus, the blood. And that's why, back to our scripture of Matthew chapter 3, Matthew chapter 3, verse 11 and 12, I'm reading 12. He is winnowing folk. So John the Baptist in verse 11 is announcing that the Messiah is coming. He says, I baptize you with water for repentance, but after me comes one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not fit to carry. He will baptize. So he talk about comes the mighty one, comes the Messiah. He's announcing that the Messiah is coming. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit, with the Holy Spirit and fire. And then he says, he's winnowing for, look, when he comes, he comes on a redemptive mission. He comes on a mission to redeem man, on a redemptive mission. That's why he says he's coming. I am baptizing you with water for repentance. But he comes now with the Holy Spirit to help you that will believe, to save you, to save mankind, to save the souls of man. That saving is saving you from the final judgment, from hell fire from the wages of sin, which is condemnation into hell. 
That's the meaning of being saved, to be saved from that fire. And then you see now, you say in verse 12, that his winnowing fork is in his hand. Look at that now. All of a sudden now he says, it's a dual mission when it comes to save, but he also has a winnowing fork, which is actually the symbol of judgment, the judgment of God that you see in the book of Revelation, chapter 20, 11, and 15. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor, his threshing floor, gathering his wheat into the barn and burning up the chaff with unquenchable fire. So that is separation. He's saying he's coming now to give salvation. But this salvation that he brings to you in that office where you work, are you aware that the salvation you behold demands duty? Are you aware that that salvation makes you duty-bound to observe the bounds of Scripture? Because he's saying he's given you the salvation in verse 11. However, in verse 12, he's going to hold people to account. How did you use the salvation I gave you? But essentially what he's saying is that verse 12 is the final day of judgment, which is the continuing conversation we've been having about the final day of judgment. Verse 12 is the final day of judgment, the continuing conversation, the continuing theme we have been having on the last day of judgment. And so it's very important for people living on the earth at this hour to know that there is a final day of judgment that is coming. And you would have to prepare for that day. That is the reason the Lord has put us to trumpet this to you on a daily basis. To trumpet to you that you may endeavor to prepare, that you may understand the purpose of that salvation that you behold. There is a day of judgment coming. When the Lord now, he says here, that he clears with his winning fork in his hand, he clears the threshing floor, gathering his wheat into the barn, into the barn rather, and burning up the chaff and unquenchable fire. That is the separation of the last day that he will bring to you. He will bring to you separation. He's bringing separation on that day. I want to focus on that separation today. And he's saying a few very important things that no one can escape that judgment. That no one will escape that judgment on that day. He's saying that all people will have to stand before the Lord and give account on how they have lived their lives on the earth. And that's why I want to stepwise walk with you here. Again, if you go to the book of Matthew 13, you see now the exemplification of that separation, how he magnifies it. If you go to Matthew 13, where I'm reading with you verses 31 to 42, then I'll explain to you. Matthew 13, 31, he says, again, 31 to 42, he says, he told them another parable, the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed. Is like a mustard seed. which a man sows, which a man took and planted in his field. Though it is the smallest of all seeds, yet when it grows, it is the largest in the garden, among the garden plants, and becomes also a tree, so that the birds come and patch their, branch, patch their nests on its branches. 
told them still another parable. But the kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into about 60 pounds of flour until it worked it all throughout the dough. And if you see verse 24, it's same. Still talk about the kingdom of heaven. And he say, the weeds. And he told them yet another parable, that the kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while everyone was sleeping, the enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. The enemy sowed and went away. Verse 36. When the wheat sprouted and formed heads, then the weeds also appeared. The owner's servants came to him and said, Sir, didn't you sow good seed in your field? Where then did the weeds come from? Verse 28 says, An enemy did this. He replied. The servant, uh, servants asked, Do you want us to go and pull them up, pull the weeds up? Verse 29, No, he answered. Because when, while you are pulling the weeds, you may uproot the wheat with them. So let them grow together until the harvest. At that time, I'll tell the harvesters, first collect the weeds and tie them in bundles to be burned in unquenchable fire. Then gather the wheat and bring it into the barn. So this is what he was talking about, what John the Baptist was talking about, same conversation about the final judgment that will take place, the day of separation. It will be a terrible day of separation. I know you like your loved ones, you walk with them, but each one will stand before the Lord alone, and families will be torn, will be separated. And that separation will start right from the rapture of the church, the rapture that the Lord has sent us to announce to the nations of the earth, the rapture that I have seen, the coming of the Messiah, that the Lord has shown us and sent us to you, to announce to you that you may prepare in holiness and righteousness. That is where that separation will begin from. But he says here, if you read very clearly what he's saying here in the book of Matthew 13, talk about the kingdom of God using many parables, and particularly this one of the weeds. You see, he's saying that the wheat and the weeds have grown together. So there was fear that if you uproot, if you try to uproot the, the weeds, you will uproot the, the wheat also, the good plant also. Meaning, their roots are intertwined down there, under the soil. Their roots have mingled. Their roots have combined together, have, have intermingled with one another. If you try to pull the weeds out, it will pull also the roots of the wheat, itself, the wheat, the good plant. And that's a very serious thing, because the Lord is saying that there are two types of people on this earth. There are children of God, and there are children of Satan. This is a very serious statement the Lord is making to you that are out there in your offices, you that are at home, maybe you're a fisherman or you're a farmer in the field, or you're a teacher, a lawyer, a doctor, wherever you're listening from during this lunchtime break. The Lord is saying serious things here. He's saying, no, 
that the children of God are right now mixed with the children of Satan. They go to the same schools. They eat in the same restaurants. They enter the same public transport. They work in the same offices. Even homes, they are mixed in there. He's saying there are two types of humanity. When he says that the offspring of the woman will be fighting, will have a perpetual, eternal conflict against the offspring of the serpent, meaning there will be two lineages. It will, it will now not be a snake. It will be human beings like Cain and Abel. When Abel represents those who are faithful to Christ, Cain represents those who are now possessed by the devil and they are undertaking his agenda. They are doing the agenda of Satan on the earth. And when you look wherever you are working or wherever you are, you can clearly see what I'm talking about. But right now on the earth, there are two types of people. There are those that honor Jesus, love Jesus, advance the cause for the gospel, and yet there are those that fight Jesus, hate Jesus, don't like Jesus, and they attempt to thwart, to frustrate the cause for the gospel. And that's why this is so key. He's saying, right now, the children of Satan and the children of God are mixed together. Their roots are intermingled, intermingled are interwoven under the soil. Because they are going to the same schools, same hospitals, same restaurants, same public transport. They are in the same church together. They are sitting side by side. But who are you? Ask yourself today. Am I really the child of God? Because the children of God in every family... When you come to a family and, and you are invited to a family and the wife sits there, the husband sits there, and the wife sits there, and the children sit, you can see a, a semblance, a resemblance, some genes, some resemblance that cuts across this home. You say, that nose looks like his nose. You say, oh, that, 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 those eyes look like the mother's eyes, whatever. So family, a family has a feature that they share together. So ask yourself, am I wearing a Christ-like feature to be in this family of Christ? In that office, when people look at you, do they see Christ? Because he says, otherwise there will be a terrible day of separation. The day of judgment is terrible separation. Because he says, verse 29 of Matthew 13, No, he answered, because while you are pulling the weeds out, you may also uproot the wheat. With them, let both grow together until at harvest time. At that time, I will tell the harvesters, those are the angels, first collect the weeds and tie them into bundles for burning, to be burned. And then gather the wheat into my barn, my kingdom. This is a very serious thing the Lord is bringing to you today, the grand separation. And when you look at the book of Matthew, chapter 3, that we have read, that the Messiah, John the Baptist, is announcing that the Messiah is coming with his winnowing fork and is going to thresh his, 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 his flow very thoroughly. He's going to handle it very thoroughly. So you can imagine the efficacy of his duty, of his work. He's saying he's going to thresh the flow. So that talks about how thorough the mission of the Messiah would be in coming. And so 
also will be how thorough his judgment will be that all the chaff will be removed and tied and set ablaze with unquenchable fire. That's the hell, drawn into hell. The evil doers. He says the Messiah will come with his angels and they will separate the evil doers, the troublemakers, the lawbreakers, the workers of wickedness, and remove them from his people. This scripture summarizes, this scripture of Matthew 3, verse 12, I say it summarizes the entire Bible from Genesis Revelation. He is telling us that when the Messiah comes to separate the chaff from the wheat, he is saying essentially that the final day of judgment will be a tremendous day of separation. Separation of mother from daughter. Separation of father from son. Separation from friends to friends. Friends from each other. And that's why you see in the book of Matthew 22. If you get a chance to look at Matthew 22, he emphasizes that same separation. He says when the kingdom, again he says, from verse 1 he says, and again Jesus spoke to them, Jesus spoke to them again in parables, saying, the kingdom of heaven is like, like a king who prepared a wedding banquet. Again, trying to bring this message of the kingdom to them, that they may prepare, to you, that you may prepare. Always focused on the kingdom. Jesus was always focused on the message of the kingdom, to prepare a people for the kingdom. And here you see very clearly that there is an invitation given out to people to come, those that reject salvation, he says, they will be separated from those that accepted salvation. And I want to surprise you that among those that will be separated out for judgment, for fire, the hell fire, to be condemned forever, will be some Christians. So, again, that separation is emphasized here. It says, verse 13, Then the king told his attendants, Tie him hand and foot, and throw him outside into the darkness, where there will be weeping and the gnashing of teeth. That is hell. Inside hell, which is an eternal judgment. There is no coming back. There is no parole. There is no appeal. Verse 14, it says, For many are invited, but few are chosen. Look at that. For many are invited, but few are chosen. Again, he's saying that right now, the children of God are living side by side, together with the children of Satan. They're living together on the earth, side by side. And he says, Jesus will gather all the nations before himself and separate them out. That's what he's talking about here. That he will gather his wheat into the barn, and then also he will burn the chaff with unquenchable fire. A separation of mother from son, mother from daughter, father from daughter, father from son. And he says no one can avoid that judgment. Are you aware in that office as you work? Because sometimes you spend more time, more, more, more time, much of your life at workplace. And that's where, again, the devil follows you there with sin, the lasting of the eye. You're looking at how the other woman is not well-dressed. Why do you worry about her? One day she will find the gospel, or 
If not, she would go to hell. Why would you go to hell because of someone? And when we look at the book of Matthew 24, same, he emphasizes the same thing. Matthew 24, verse 36. He says this. But about that day or hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven or the Son of Man, but only God the Father. As it was during the days of Noah, so shall it be at the coming of the Son of Man. For in the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage up to the day Noah entered the ark. And they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and swept them away. This is how it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. So again he's saying that the whole earth will be separated. In the same way it was the time of Noah. In the time of Noah, when Noah was faithful with his family, they were separated from the rest of the earth. And the rest were judged. They are now waiting to be thrown into the hell, the lake of fire. And yet he says here very clearly that the same thing will happen at the coming of the Messiah in the final days. Look at what he says further on there, verse 40. Two men will be in one field, and one will be taken, the other left. Look at that separation. The separation that happens when the Messiah arrives. Two women will be grinding with a hand mill. One will be taken, and the other left. Again, same. Talk about separation. He says, therefore, keep watch. Because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. So it's such a warning, blessed people, as you walk in that office. As you walk in that office, it's such a tremendous warning. He's saying that Jesus comes to give eternal life. Jesus comes to give eternal life, to save you, because you see, that the wheat, which represents the believers, they are saved, they are separated from that fire. The wheat is separated from that fire. Wheat is separated out. And that's why you see Matthew 13, he says, let both grow together until harvest time. At that time, he will tell the harvesters, first collect the wheat, tie them together in bundles and burn them. Then gather the wheat, and bring them into heaven, into my barn. He's saying that Jesus came to the earth to give eternal life to those who believe. My question is, have you believed? And if you have believed, do you know the identity of true believers of Christ? Do you know what true believers of Christ look like in this life? This life that's full of sin in those offices. You step out in the streets, it's full of sin. Everything is sinful. Do you know what it means to be a believer? He says he comes to separate the, the wheat. That, that's now the believers from the chaff. That's now those who don't believe, trying to contaminate the wheat, the believers. And, and then he says, for those who reject the gospel, who reject the offer of eternal life from Jesus, they'll be thrown into eternal fire. So others get eternal life, the others get eternal fire. 
have you chosen eternal life? And yet he says in the book of Second Corinthians, still the same separation that takes place at the judgment of God, the final judgment that is coming. The reason you are alive on the earth today and born again is that you may be saved from that judgment, from the fire, the condemnation that will take place for those that have not believed. And that's why the same separation that characterizes, that will characterize the judgment of God, the reason you are being asked to receive Christ, that you may be separated from those that will be judged. Second Corinthians chapter 6, I'm reading 14 on, he says, Do not be yoked together with unbelievers, for what do righteousness and wickedness have in common? What fellowship can light have with darkness? What harmony is there between Christ and Belial? Or what does a believer have in common with an unbeliever? What argument is there between the temple of God and idols? For we are the temple of the living God, as God said, I'll live among them and walk, I'll live with them and walk among them, and I'll be their God and they will be my people. Therefore, come out of them and be separate, says the Lord. You see the call to separation in this life that on that day you may be separated on the, on the Lord's side to enter his barn, his eternal kingdom. Touch no unclean thing, and I will receive you, and I will be a father unto you, and you will be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. Very powerful, blessed people. That is what the Lord is saying. He's saying, separate yourself out. The call to Christianity, the call to Christian salvation, is essentially a call to separation in this dark world, that you may separate from the sin, the moral decay of this life. Have you realized that? And he's saying, those accepting the invitation, they will be blessed to enter the eternal kingdom of peace, kingdom of God. There will never be any judgment again set up against them. They will enjoy forever in the presence of God, worshiping God. And it's this same separation that made the Lord Jesus in John chapter 14, John chapter 14, that made him say such powerful words. In John chapter 14, he says the following. John 14, blessed people. He says, verse 1, Do not let your hearts be troubled, you believe in God, believe also in me. My father's house has many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I am going there to prepare a place for you. Verse 3 is what we're targeting. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I'll come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. That is the separation that characterizes the return of the Messiah. He will have judged when he comes for the rapture. That is the rapture of the church. He will take some and leave some in a family. Someone will wake up and find the clothes of the husband are there in the house. Husband is taken. All the clothes of the wife taken. Such a tremendous separation will take place. Separating husband from wife, son from daughter, son from parents, wife, daughter from parents. It's a terrible judgment that is coming. A terrible separation is coming. Are you prepared? 
and those that are remaining on the earth after the rapture. Then in Revelation chapter 6, the judgment, the coronavirus, look at the coronavirus I prophesied. And I told you that I've seen the release of the fourth horseman of the apocalypse. I pronounced, I announced to the earth, every time the lamp broke the first four seals, when God privileged me to come before the throne and watch, because it's part of this ministry. In fact, the main agenda. That's why you see the earthquakes Jesus talked about. When I struck Mexico with earthquakes, that is the reason. I pleaded with them for so long to repent. They did not. When I struck Chile, I pleaded with them so long. I even paid flight tickets for some of the directors of the National Council of Bishops of Chile to bring them to Kenya and plead with them before the earthquake comes. And when Chile failed to organize the national repentance, then finally, look how I struck Chile with a massive earthquake. Praise the Lord. Look how I struck Haiti. I pleaded with them, went there, the island of Hispaniola. So there, there is a terrible judgment coming. The coronavirus, failure to repent. God is warning this generation. He's saying, ahead of you is bad. Take Jesus. Be born again properly, even that office. Stand out. Stand firm. Tell them you're born again. Don't accept compromises. And you see very clearly, in the book of Second Corinthians, Second Corinthians chapter 5, I'm reading verse 10 as I finish. Second Corinthians chapter 5. Hallelujah. Verse 10. He says this for He says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each of us may receive what is due for us for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. Now, that I want to raise for you is that the judgment seat of Christ is totally different from the great white throne judgment we are talking about in Revelation 20, 11 to 15. This white seat of Christ will be in heaven. So even the Christians who are taken into the rapture, at one point you have to give account. You are going to be held to account on the things you did. Everybody must appear before Christ. Everybody ever lived on the earth. And in the book of Romans, if you look at Romans chapter 14, verse 10, Look at what it says, Romans 14, verse 10. You then, why do you judge your brothers and sister, your brother or sister? Why do you treat them with contempt? For we will all stand before God's judgment seat. Everybody must appear. And look at verse 12. So then, each of us will give an account of our lives, of ourselves, to God. So when you're in that office, at that workplace, are you aware? I know you're taking a lunch break now, but are you aware that when you're there, everything you do will be judged? Everything that you do will be subjected to judgment. You will give account to the Lord. And if you have things you're doing that are compromising your salvation, you rather leave them because they will cost you eternity. They will cause you to, to miss heaven. When you look at Hebrews chapter 4, as I finish now, the book of Hebrews chapter 4, this is what he says. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 13. He says, Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered 
and laid bare before his eyes, the eyes of him to whom we must give account. So it would be a thorough judgment, blessed people. That's why the winnowing fork, our lead scripture of Matthew chapter 312, that winnowing fork will be thorough, separating all the wheat away from the chaff, and the chaff will be set ablaze. And it will be virtually inescapable, this judgment. So even as you go about your businesses today, your business today in that office, your work today, I just want you to know that there is a day of judgment coming when everything you've done in your life will be taken into account. You'll stand before the Lord and you'll be needed to give account as to why you did not accept the gospel, as to why you abused the salvation after you received him. So if you want to receive the Lord wherever you are, this is the end of your lunchtime break. Just repeat this short prayer. Say, mighty Lord Jesus, I ask you to help me to be diligent in my salvation that I may walk in the fear of God. Lord, I receive you into my heart today as my Lord and Savior. And I repent and turn away from all sin. I know that you died for me and resurrected for me. And you gave me access to the eternal life of God. I choose eternal life that on that day, my Lord Jesus, you may separate me out. You may separate me out for the glorious kingdom of God. That you may remember me and sustain my name in the Lamb's book of life that you have written in heaven. In the mighty name of Jesus, I am born again. So if you have said that prayer, I congratulate you. Find the pastor to baptize you if it's your first time. And uh, if you are someone who has renewed your salvation, now just walk straight. Make sure that you walk strong and firm knowing that those who are in sin, they are ignorant of what is coming. For you now, the knowledge and the information of what is coming in the future will reshape your life as to how you live your life on this earth. May the Lord bless you. It was a pleasure and a great honor coming to you this, this afternoon. The Lord bless you indeed. Thank you. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Purchase new wiper blades from O'Reilly Auto Parts today and we'll install them for free. See better and drive safer with O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. Auto Parts.